Hello my friends, welcome back to Garda Goes Geek. On today's episode we're going to be discussing Final Space, a space opera, comedy, drama, action, adventure, animated adult series uh, developed by Olan Rogers and cancelled before its time. So, what is Final Space? Final Space is a cartoon series, uh, an adult animated series, as I believe they prefer the term, uh, created by Alan Rogers, who is someone who got his start on YouTube. He was part of the comedy trio Balloon Shop um, on YouTube before transitioning to his own solo channel. And he created Final Space. Final Space is a story focusing on a character voiced by Rogers himself named, named Gary Goodspeed. Gary Goodspeed is this very energetic but somewhat dim-witted astronaut who, when we first meet him, is working off the last few days of a five-year prison sentence. Um, his... Accompaniment on this ship, this deep space ship called the Galaxy One, is the ship's AI, Hugh, and a robot which is described as an insanity avoidance companion known as Kevin. However, Gary hates Kevin um, and finds him incredibly annoying. While working off these last few days of his sentence, Gary encounters an alien known as Mooncake. Uh, well, I should say he names the alien Mooncake. Mooncake is this little green um, ball with legs, antennae, and big eyes. Um, and Mooncake is being chased through the universe um, by agents of the Lord Commander, who is this sinister warlord with a a very large army and telekinetic abilities. Because the Lord Commander wants Mooncake in order to reach Final Space, which is a bizarre realm at the end of the universe. So Gary and his crew and all the other characters he meets along the way um, get embroiled in this quest to stop the Lord Commander and find out more about Final Space. The initial concept, um, it was originally created by Olan Rogers and he was going to work on a series of animated shorts called Gary Space originally, which he was releasing on his Facebook page. Um, he planned 10 episodes, he stopped uploading after the third episode. I think those original episodes are now taken down or not publicly accessible anyway. Um, and so he put a team together and worked on an animated pitch, uh, like an animated pilot, seven minutes long, uh, just over seven minutes, um, called Final Space, which he released onto his own YouTube channel in 2016. That video pilot caught the attention of Conan O'Brien, 
Conan O'Brien bought um, Olan Rogers to Los Angeles and invited him to pitch it to TBS, like arranged a pitch for him. Um, it got picked up and Final Space then went into production with most of the original team um, on board. Um, a lot of the team that Olan Rogers has assembled for the pilot uh, moved to the series proper itself, including um, Jake Sidwell, the composer, who I think is one of the more prominent reasons for the show's success. I think the score for the show is incredible, and the score for the pilot as well is very, very well done. Um, they were then joined by other people from Conan O'Brien's company, and obviously more actors were hired so that um, uh, Olan Rogers wasn't doing all of the voices himself. <laughs> um, but most prominently was the addition of David Sachs as showrunner. David Sachs is a writer. He won an Emmy for work on The Simpsons' fifth and sixth seasons. He won a uh, Golden Globe for his work on Third Rock from the Sun. And he's also written for Malcolm in the Middle as well as several other shows. Um, he joined the, sh the show as showrunner. And worked with Olan Rogers to craft Final Space. Uh, the first season was released in 2018. Um, it premiered on TBS in America before being picked up um, and moved to uh, picked up by Netflix for international distribution. Uh, the second season then went on to premiere on Adult Swim. And Adult Swim and Netflix seem to be where it uh, found its found its home um however obviously the 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 most recent two seasons were made during you know more heightened situations there was the the AT&T Warner merger there was the um uh the pandemic um that have obviously both had an impact on the show um, but despite that, the episode count was increased. It went from 10 episodes in season 1 to 13 episodes for seasons 2 and 3. But unfortunately, the series has been cut shorter than its planned 6 seasons. Uh, I say 6 seasons. Rogers said he had at least 6 seasons worth of material. Uh, as well as a proposed ending for the show. Um, and the reason it was cut short was because of the merger between Warner Media and Discovery. And it was just one of those things that wasn't going to get continued. Some people did fight for the show um, at Warner, but it just wasn't meant to be. And unfortunately that came not long after season three was completed, but before it actually uh, premiered. So... The, the final season released uh, to a bit of a bittersweet news for the fans. The show itself, the concept, the original concept uh, pilot is very interesting. It focuses on um, Gary um counting down the arrival of a temporal worm, which he will use to go back in time. He talks about how he was sent on the mission to Final Space 
Um, he's holding the dead body of his friend Avocado, who we see in a, a flashback. There is a cat-like alien played by one of Olan Rogers' friends, uh, Cody Galloway, um, who also transitioned to the final show, um, which is good because I think his, his voice work is fantastic for the character. I'm not sure if he was a trained voice actor, but his voice work for Avocado is brilliant. Um, but it, the show also fe the pilot features very, 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 very different um, designs for a lot of the characters, and some very different characterizations. For example, this version of Gary is Gary Bigsby, and he is a not uh, a prisoner. He is an actual pilot, an actual member of the Infinity Guard, which is the uh, the Earth-based space exploration group. He is in love with um, a former commander there named Quinn, um, but Quinn herself doesn't have a speaking part in the pilot, um, despite being a more prominent character in the final show. The Lord Commander has a very, very different characterization. The Lord Commander in the final show uh, is voiced by David Tennant, who does this excellently menacing voice for the character, whereas the, the Lord Commander in this version, voiced by Rogers, is much more comical and not quite as threatening. And I don't think he exhibits any of the telekinetic powers they, they gave him in the final show. Um, the series itself also premiered on Reddit um, when it originally debuted, followed by uh, an Ask Me Anything with Olan Rogers, which was a first for a TV show. Um, I remember reading that and thought that was a, a very, very cool fact. Uh, but yeah, the pilot is very good. I recommend watching it. Uh, not Don't watch it before the show. Watch the show first, I think, at least season one, and then go and watch the pilot. It's very interesting to see how it became that show. Um, it's showcases an awful lot of what the final show would actually be. Um, you know, how there's elements of comedy, but there's also this very strong melancholic tone. Um, you know, with the, the sort of the somber music and sort of more downbeat line delivery. Um from Gary as a, this show is as if what's happened is is tragic because you know he's just lost his friend um, from what we can tell but yeah it's a good show uh, it's, it's a good pilot and I can see why it was picked up um, and obviously having heard Rogers speak about this show in interviews it can it's very easy to see why it got picked up by TBS. The man is clearly very, very passionate about this project. And it's very clear that a lot of him has gone into it. So, um, 
for the rest of this episode, I'm going to take a a dive into the show, season by season. Explore, you know, what it did well, what the issues I have with it, because there are issues I have with it. I did speak previously about Final Space in a previous episode, um, where I said that I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of some of the comedy in it. Um, at the time I said that, I'd mainly only seen season one. Now, I had also seen another video by a YouTuber named Ron J. Coleman, uh, who mainly reviews Star Trek content, and he expressed uh, similar issues with the comedy, although to a more extreme um, than my own views. Um, like a more extreme dislike than myself. And that comment, that video actually got a comment response from Olan Rogers himself, who said that a lot of the jokes that Rowan Coleman was objecting to in season one and season two were sort of wanted by the network. And I think that becomes very, very clear, because by the time you get to season three of the show, which I only watched for the first time leading up to this podcast, it's very, very clear that season three is what the show was trying to be the whole time. Season three is very, very light on jokes. There, there are, there is comedy in it. Um, comedy that's that's born out of character rather than situations. But the show becomes very, very intense and very story-driven and very character-driven. And... When I originally came up with the concept of doing this episode, I titled it um, A Moratorium on Final Space. Now, for people unfamiliar with that word, a moratorium is a, a delay or a prohibition in an activity or an obligation. And the reason I chose that word as the title for this episode was because, one, I had been putting off watching this show, um, and I wanted an excuse to talk about it, but also because of the show's cancellation. And the hope that someday we will see this story finished. And we may still. But this episode, as you may have noticed, is now titled A Eulogy for Final Space. And a eulogy, obviously, typically represents very high praise. And that is because I do think the show is something to be praised. I think it's a very, very good show. I think the the work of the people behind the scenes to make this show has paid off. I think so many people have put so much work into it and so much of their their heart and soul, especially Olan Rogers, that I don't think I can do anything other than praise this show. And that is mainly off the back of the last two seasons that I had put off watching and so because of this episode I think I've now found a new show that while unfortunately cancelled 
I would count among one of my favourites. So let's discuss it. Season 1 of Final Space focuses mainly on Gary and the sort of motley crew that he assembles around him as he gradually becomes aware of the Lord Commander's plans uh, for Mooncake and how that involves Final Space and what lurks in Final Space and how that affects him. Final Space is um, something outside of the universe, like a, a, a almost a realm outside of the universe. And the Lord Commander is trying to get there by opening a breach in space. Now, there was a previous breach in space when Gary was a young man, well, a young child, um, that his father closed. His father is John Goodspeed, a heroic astronaut, uh, voiced by Ron Perlman, who does uh, a very good job for what is a, a very emotional but very minimal role. If that makes sense, he, he has some prominent appearances in a couple of episodes, but never for the full episode. And yeah, he's he he does he does a very very good job as this very supportive father figure for Gary. And John Goodspeed was lost closing this original breach, and now a new breach is forming, and it's threatening Earth which um, is being investigated by Quinn Aragon. Quinn is voiced by Tika Sumter, who is an actress I'm not familiar with, but she does very, very, excuse me, very good work here. Um, her main ally is Tribor, an alien who I is the one member of the character that I cannot stand. You get the feeling the the character that I'm not... The character that you're not meant to like is Kevin, um, because everyone on the cast hates Kevin. I actually find Kevin rather funny. I think he does some, has some amazing lines. And in the main show, he's voiced by Fred Armisen, who is someone I enjoy as most of the characters he plays, usually bit part characters in a lot of shows. Um, but he's doing a very good job as Kevin. He gives this very high energy performance. Um... And so I actually quite enjoy Kevin, despite the fact that, you know, he's he's clearly the character we're not meant to like. Um, but Tribal, I can't stand. He has this habit of asking himself a question. It's like, am I really doing this? Yes, I am. Why would I be doing this? Because why not? And it's it gets really tiresome. And as a result, he's the only character in the whole show that I, I really struggle with. <laughs> um, with finding any any quality about liking. In, yeah. Yeah. Some bits of him are interesting, um, as, especially as the show goes on. But I'm not a fan. Anyway, uh, Quinn is trying to get the attention of the Infinity Guard, but they're not willing to investigate her claims. And that leads to her going on the run and finding her way to Gary. 
Gary, the whole reason he's in prison is because he impersonated a member of the Infinity Guard to try and impress Quinn after seeing her in a bar. As a result, he's he's completely enamoured with her, despite barely sharing any time with her at all. Um, which is very interesting. Um, and not something I'm necessarily a fan of. Um, the sort of the one-sided romance is a very kind of toxic stereotype, or can be used very toxically. But a genuine connection does kind of develop between them um, throughout the series as they when they come together. The other main member of the cast is Avocado. Avocado is a, a Ventrexian, which are like these warrior race of aliens. Um, essentially, he looks like a humanoid cat. Um, and he's got this gruff voice. Uh, like I said, Cody Galloway does his voice very, very well. Um, and he's... He sort of gets roped into being Gary's best friend. Um, by Gary sort of capturing him when he tries to see his mooncake. And then this real bond of friendship forms between them because Gary kind of wears him down by imprisoning him and trying to play cards with him and then saying, you know, finding out that Avocado's son is being held by the Lord Commander and he's like, yeah, no, I'm going to help you get your son back. Of course I am. We play cards together. Um, Because Quinn... Sorry, not Quinn. Gary is just a good person. He's very wholesome. He, He makes mistakes, but... It's, I mean, part of it may be that he's been on his own for five years with just Hugh and Kevin, but he really seems to try to make a connection with every character he meets. So I can find, you know, while I may not be a fan of some of his comedy scenes um, or some of the more extreme elements of humour in the show, which I'll get to in a second... Um, I can find Gary really endearing at the same time. You know, he's he's a good lead, and his the connections that he forms with the characters of Avocado, Quinn, Mooncake, Hugh even, they are the connections that drive this show. And, yeah, they all end up sort of teaming up, and... You know, trying to stop the Lord Commander. They find out that the Lord Commander has corrupted the Infinity Guard. Um, They're trying to help him open the breach. Um, The breach opens. Find out that in Final final Space is home to a race of Titans. um, That can literally destroy planets. Mooncake is made of Final Space. Um, This is why he has the power. Because Mooncake has the power to destroy planets himself. He's able to fire these energy blasts. The Titans will destroy everything if they're unleashed. Um, that's that's their whole thing. They will destroy everything. Everything will be wiped out. There will be it will be the end of the universe if the Titans are unleashed. And the Lord Commander wants to unleash, wants to open the doors to Final Space to go there himself. Um, as we find out in the final episode, he wants to become a titan. He wants to rule all dimensions. Um, which is something that is revealed very, very late in the show. 
But the this original season um, is ten chapters. The opening scenes of each episode are these very melancholic scenes of Gary drifting in space alone in the aftermath of this clearly quite enormous space battle surrounded by corpses and wrecked starships. And it's literally just Gary talking to Hugh. And Hugh tells him that he only has ten minutes to live. And each of the episode openings features one of those minutes going by. Um, And they're very tragically beautiful. And I think that they are the perfect introduction to Gary. Because there's less of the eccentric, over-the-top... Uh, energy that he brings sort of the manic energy that he has the rest of the time it's very subdued and very quiet and shows that Gary is actually this good character Um, and obviously shows us that we are going to be we're going to be catching up to that towards the end of the show we're going to find out what this battle was that we have yet to see (sighs) I should say about the human, the show is phenomenal. It has really great music. The music is fantastic. Um, the season one soundtrack is available in numerous places it's on YouTube, it's on Spotify, it's on CD, it's probably on a whole load of other streaming services like Apple as well. I'm not sure, I've not looked. Um, it's very, very good and very solid music. Um, just these these beautifully melancholic pieces, um, even some of the vocal pieces performed by Shelby Merry are fantastic, and they're used to great effect with these soaring orchestrations in the show. But then there's also these amazing rock um, songs that pop in at certain points as well. It's it's very well done. Um, but the characters and the voice work, I think, are what make the show, um, as I said. Although it's it's visually very stunning as well. Like, a lot of the backgrounds actually use NASA space imagery. Um, so you've got these shots of space, and it looks like space. And it's very well done. Um, yeah, Gary maybe shouts a bit too much of his... Far too much of his dialogue for my liking, um, but like I said, I do I do feel like it's like he's gone a bit crazy over the years um, due to his sentence. It's kind of hard to explain the political layout of the universe. A lot of sort of more hard sci-fi, we get like an idea of like oh, there's this government in power and this government's over here and so on, um, and we get elements of that with the Infinity Guard and the Lord Commander's army. But not enough. It's like we know the Lord Commander has power and influence. And obviously eventually influences the Infinity Guard. But we don't know were the Infinity Guard originally opposed to him or or not. The Lord Commander is incredibly threatening in the show. Um, far more so than in the original pilot. Um, as I said, David Tennant does the voice. He does this very gravelly cruel voice um, and then they use this vocal processing on and the reverb on him um, 
when his powers kick in to make him even more threatening in certain moments. But there are still some elements of like awkward comedy, like not being sure how to turn off a, a computer or being teased for his height by someone that he's planning to execute. Um, which again, maybe I could kind of do without. Um, some of the more graphic humour... Uh, um, I mean, I touched on how a lot of grown-up animation tends to have this kind of graphic indulgence with, like, gore. And there is a lot of gore in this show and, like, injury details and certain points. Like, the the corpses in the space battle have, like, eyes blown out and holes in their body and guts hanging out and things like that. Um, but that fits. Whereas, like, there's a scene in one of the earlier episodes where Gary has to wear... You know, to blend in on this alien planet, he gets given a skin suit to wear, which is literally the skin of an alien woman. And he mentions how it's kind of wet and slippery. And then he ends up accidentally back with the family that that skin suit belonged to. And she was she was a mother of the this De Winter family. And, you know, the kids excited to have her back and like, I love mommy more, I love mommy more, end up ripping the suit in half, um, exposing Carrie. Um, or the third episode, they arrive somewhere called the Deathcropolis. And a couple of the characters they talk to get randomly ripped apart by this creature that just yells, Deathcropolis! Uh, and there's just... Uh, blood, I say blood, it's it's green, but still, it's just unnecessary gore as he's ripping heads, and it seems to be done for no reason than just for the laugh. Um, but like I said, having that um, that sort of behind-the-scenes tidbit from Olan Rogers, where he says, you know, this is sort of the stuff that the network wanted, makes sense, and I'm I'm a bit more willing to forgive it than perhaps... I was originally when I first watched this show. Mooncake is awesome. Um, Mooncake is also where I think the animation for this show really shines, especially in the first season. He's usually doing something in the background of any shot he's in. Um, and you could contrast that with a lot of other Western animation, things like uh, Family Guy, Futurama, even Rick and Morty to a point, although that is one of the more energetic animated shows. Um, where characters that aren't talking can be relatively static, um, usually with like a plain facial expression or a, a default standing pose or sitting pose, and not really doing much. Whereas... Uh, in this, you know, even if Mooncake isn't in the foreground, he can be in the background doing something. So can Kevin. Um, or, you know, you can just have, like, Avocado reacting to something that Gary's saying. You know, you can see his facial expression shift and change. Which which is good. Um, Hugh's very funny as well. He's got this tremendous deadpan delivery. He's been played by Tom Kenny, who is a, a very, very good act, voice actor. Um, 
and he's just doing this brilliant deadpan, but at the same time, there's enough emotion there that you can see that he kind of, you know, there's a lot of empathy in the words he speaks. Like, as if he does, you know, have a friendship and a bond with these characters. Despite just being, you know, the ship's computer. Um, the relationship between Avocado and Gar- Gary, like I said, it, it builds very, very well. Especially in the second episode, they have things like, um, you know, Gary calls it the clasp of hands. And it's like, you know, they they bond and have like a, a real friendship. Um, despite originally Avocado looking like he was going to portray Gary. Like I said, Kevin, I find irritating in a very, very good way. Um, he, he gets one scene quite early on where, I think it's episode four, episode five, where he has to save the ship. Um, and he's given the key to do it by another character called Nightfall, who I'll discuss in a minute. Um, those scenes actually really help me like him. Because he's... You know, he's like everyone's ignoring him. Where he's like, guys, I can do it. I can fix the ship, but no problem. Uh, and Quinn and Avocado are both ignoring him while arguing over which of them is going to do it. And he's just like, oh, fine, and flies off to do it. Um, and yeah, he gets damaged doing it, and his body actually changes. It retains that damage for the rest of the show, um, which is, is a nice touch because again, that's. Not something that happens. You don't have those lasting consequences. um, In a lot of animated shows. Where you know. Things sort of default back. At the end of most of these shows. Um, I've already spoken about how Tribal irritates me. I'm not going to go back to that. Despite the fact that it's at this point in my notes for the episode. Um, Nightfall is a very interesting character. Nightfall, we find out, is a future version of Quinn, who, in her timeline, lost Gary. And we later find out that led Mooncake to destroy the universe and open final space for the Titans. And she's come back to try and sort of make sure that Gary succeeds. And she gets introduced in, like, the second episode while Avocado and Gary are off the ship. And it's just a very, very good mystery because she builds into this, you know, she becomes quite an important character later on. Um, You know, she leaves them the key to save the Galaxy One uh, from the Infinity Guard. Um, Little Kato gets introduced as well. Little Kato is uh, Avocato's son. And when we first meet him, he's a prisoner. Um... And he's he's very charming, but he's also a teenager, so he's very sarcastic. Like the Lord Commander comes on and taunts him, and he he's just he's just giving him sass. And he's just like I've no respect for the guy at all, um, which infuriates the Lord Commander, but helps you get very endeared to Little Carto very quickly. Um, Quinn. It's quite bland at first when we meet her. And like I said, Gary's obsession with her is, is a bit odd. Like, we find out he sent her a message every day that he's been in, in prison. Uh, and none of these messages have actually made their way to her. So she doesn't know who he is. 
uh, and has to be like reminded. But she's very, very driven to save Earth, um, despite her allegiance to the Infinity Guard. Um, but then when she finds out that they're working for the Lord Commander, that's kind of demoralizes her. Um, and while it does feel like a bit of an arbitrary twist, as it's like the Infinity Guard should be opposed to the Lord Commander because they're from Earth and it literally is going to destroy the Earth. But it works for the story, I think. Um, although there is, by this point in the show, no explanation really of what Final Space is or why they want to reach it. Um, that all comes later on. She does bond quite well with Gary. And there's a point where Hugh sort of tries to stop her leaving by showing her every video of every one of Gary's messages. And it seems... The fact she instantly softens towards him. Originally I thought it felt a bit forced, but... It does kind of make sense because she's essentially watching hours and hours of Gary at his most raw and most natural. Like, and that can really endear you to a person when you see beyond, you know, with Gary, this bravado that he's uh, showing most of the time as he's... As he's just trying to connect with someone um, through like these virtual diaries. So I did like that. I like that more rewatching it than I think I did originally. Um, as I said, the reveal of what Final Space is is kind of gradually revealed to us. Um, we get a vision out of nowhere for Gary in episode 4. That reveals that his father was looking at the shift in the universe's gravitational constant. Which is what Quinn's investigating. And that's the mission that led to his death. Um, and Gary gets kind of caught up in this vision. And it seems to come from nowhere. Um, but it does lay down this, this groundwork and this explanation. Um, meanwhile, Avocado is trying to, to find his son. And that causes a conflict between... Uh, Quinn and Gary, because Quinn backs Avocado with saving Little Gato first, um, despite the fact the Lord Commander is actually leading them into a trap, um, and that leads to probably the most tragic moment in the whole first se season, and probably in the show overall. Um, it did like it. It makes me cry. It's sad. Um, where they've just rescued little Carto, they get back to the Galaxy One. They've left the the Lord Commander kind of in a hole because Mooncake blasted him down to the the sort of the bedrock of the planet. And the Lord Commander uses his powers to grab a bomb that Avocado dropped and put it on little Carto's back as they get on board the Galaxy One. And then just as Avocado and little Carto are bonding. Avocado finds the bomb and just turns to Gary and says, take care of my boy, and runs 
and then the bomb blows up. He he see him drifting out into space with this big hole in his chest while everyone tries to stop themselves getting sucked out into space and Gary's trying to hold little Carto back and all the sound drops down and you get this this brilliant sourced piece of music. I'm not sure who it's by, but it's fantastic. I'm assuming Shelby Mary and uh, Jake Sidwell. Um, and yeah, it's just horribly tragic. But it's it's the execution in it is just flawless. It's probably one of the best executed scenes in the whole show in terms of um, the timing and the setup and everything. And even the because season one had recaps, and even the recap of the the next episode acknowledges the tragedy because the the recaps are done first person by Gary. And Gary says about how Avocado dies and then just says, yeah, I'll miss him too. And it's just... Yeah, I'm, I'm tearing up now thinking about it. It's very well done. Um, and the next episode is just mainly focusing on the characters dealing with their grief over it, especially little Kato. Um, and this is despite the fact that Nightfall then joins them as well and clashes with Quinn over Gary and tries to kill Mooncake. But it's just done very, very well. Um, but this is where we start to get the, the more, more of the revelations for the plot. We get introduced to Bolo. Um Bolo is introduced as this rebel titan who is in prison. And I originally find it very hard to trust him. Um, you know, we only have his word that he's good. And he was the one who sort of sent Nightfall on her mission. And he sends Gary back in time to meet John Goodspeed. To find out, you know, as as... He's caught in this explosion at the breach of Final Space. To find out how to close the breach. And it's revealed that the Lord Commander was John Goodspeed's co-pilot. And they find out that they need an antimatter bomb. John Goodspeed takes the bomb, flies out, leaves Gary on the ship. And... You know, Gary's obviously heartbroken. He's had this, this, these few moments with his dad. The first one since he was a child. And, you know, he's horrified at the prospect of losing his dad when he's just got him back. Despite the fact that he knows that that's what's going to happen. And John says, you know, just, just do your best. And Gary says, well, what if my best isn't good enough? And John says, it's good enough for me. And again, it's just more of these incredibly touching moments. Yeah, these incredibly touching, emotional, heartfelt moments between characters. And it's it's really, really well done. Um, you know, this is where I think the show is at its best. Not in the comedy, not in the 
not in the action scenes, but in these emotional moments. Because the show does it so well. And a lot of it comes down to the characters, the script, the delivery of the lines. And it's really well done. Um, We find out the mooncake, like I said, was made of final space. And it was John's death and closing of that breach that allowed mooncake to enter our universe. And presumably something happened to Jack as well. Which, uh, Sorry, the Lord Commander's real name is Jack. Um, that turned him into the Lord Commander. That gave him the power that he has. Um, and the new persona. The crew returned to Earth. But because of the distractions with Little Carto and um, Bolo. We find out that they're actually too late. And most of Earth has been evacuated. But... Earth is being destroyed. It's it's being sucked towards the breach. Like the oceans are actually peeling off the planet. <sighs> like they fly down to Earth and end up flying through the ocean before they hit the atmosphere, if that makes sense. And there's something very terrifying about it. It's like, unlike any other post-apocalypse that I think I've seen in in sci-fi, it's very, very different. Um, just the pure cosmic scale. Um, the cosmic antipathy of the whole thing. Um, it's something that's quite terrifying and very, very humbling. Um, you know, Earth is... When they arrive, even, it's it's clear that Earth is mainly lost, like... It's abandoned, it's wrecked, and it's moving towards the breach. Um, But Gary and Quinn have some nice moments where they kind of treat it as their first date while they're trying to get this antimatter bomb to save the the world. And that leads into the sort of the last stand against the Lord Commander in episode 10. And there's this very, very well-paced battle... um, with Tribor, who's now the head of the Resistance, calling in the Resistance to help in the final battle, the ship being overwhelmed, and then them fighting back, and then it being overwhelmed again. And, you know, we gradually watch as all of our characters are killed off, essentially. Um, You know, Kevin gets destroyed... Little Carter is blasted out into space and lost. Mooncake is captured by the Lord Commander. Um, Nightfall by this point has already left. She's uh, She helped them to get to Bolo and then left. Um, so she's not with them for this. Tribor's ship is sort of scattered off into space along with most of the other Resistance leaders. And they fail. The Titans reach out from the breach. Um... After the Lord Commander's used Mooncake to open it. And he wants he thinks the Titans are going to take him. And the Titans instead grab Earth. Like this giant hand reaches out and grabs Earth. And pulls it into the breach. And Earth is lost. And... Yeah. Um... The Galaxy 1 is destroyed. Hugh downloads into... Gary's uh, helmet 
Um, and Gary is lost in space. And he has a final conversation with Quinn. As she has the antimatter bomb. And says she can seal the breach. Which she does. She activates the the bomb. And the breach is sealed. And Quinn is lost. And as I said all the other characters are lost. And now we actually catch up to the openings of the show. As we have Gary with these final ten minutes. Before he dies. And he does. He actually dies. In these final moments of the show. The show. He asphyxiates in space. And wakes up in this white space with his father. And his father says, you have a choice. You have a choice to to come with me or to go back. And then Gary says, you know, which way is Mooncake? Which way is Quinn? Which way is Little Cardo? And, you know, he... It's again this very touching moment where he's... He's choosing to save his friends, to to go back to the suffering that happened to save his friends. And then you just get, for the final shot of the show, Gary's body drifting in space. And a light, like this beam of light comes down and shines behind him. And it's just like this nice subtle cliffhanger. Of a light of hope against the tragedy. And it's really well done. Season 2 of the show dives straight in. Um, The very first episode picks up in the aftermath of the space battle. Um, So Mooncake is still trapped on the Lord Commander's ship. uh, Wired up to this giant machine to use his power. The Lord Commander is injured after his confrontation with Little Kato. Um... You know, Gary is floating dead in space. And Gary is, his body is found along with uh, Kevin's and a few others um, by this garbage disposal bot. Um, And obviously Kevin wakes up, he reanimates. um, Reanimates, that makes him sound like a zombie. But, you know, wakes up, finds that Hugh has been given a body. Um, a real sort of garbage junk robot body which just adds to his comedy value to be completely honest and the two of them are now in the service of Clarence Clarence is a character voiced by Conan O'Brien he was a minor character in episode 2 of the first season he's the one that provided the skin suit for Melanie de Winter that Gary wore um Now, Clarence is kind of like a junk trader and a wheeler-dealer type person. Um, We are introduced to his two adopted children, uh, which are Fox, a Trivulian, which is a race that has a a real rivalry with the Ventrexians, uh, which causes him to clash with Little Carto, who has also already been rescued by Clarence. And Ash, who is a young girl with purple hair and... Phenomenal psychic powers that are accompanied with a, a sort of demonic change in her. Like her her eyes go black and um, she's surrounded by this like negative energy field. Um, 
you know, powers that she can't quite control. Um, yeah, Clarence basically uses Gary by tempting him with a ship called the Crimson Light. Uh, and says that if he helps Clarence pull off a robbery in the middle of a, a death race, uh, Gary gets his freedom and gets the ship. However, he doesn't quite get his freedom. He still has to travel with Clarence and his family. Uh, the ship itself also have a, has a new AI called Ava. She's voiced by Jane Lynch, who brings her, her signature sarcasm and wit to the character. Um, she's done very, very well. I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Jane Lynch's work. I think she's very funny in a lot of her roles. So it's very good to see her. Um, Kevin comes back um, with a new design. Um... And, obviously, the whole crew are thrilled to have Kevin back. Um, Nightfall also returns. She kills the Lord Commander, seemingly, and saves Mooncake, who has had his powers drained. Sorry about that. Yeah, she saves Mooncake, who has had his uh, powers drained um, by the machine, and seemingly kills the Lord Commander. And she joins up with the crew. It turns out this... Gizmo that they've stolen during this race is actually a dimensional key, and they are given a, uh, a vision of Bolo, who says that it is time to free him from his prison. And there are five keys, and they have the first one. So then, yeah, they are given the role of trying to hunt down these keys. And what follows for season two is. Uh, to start with, very episodic. Um, for example, season two, uh, sorry, season two, episode two, um, starts with, um, of all things, a piss fight. As bizarre as that sounds, um, you know, little Carter says he's going to to reclaim the ship for Gary and the others of the Ventrexian way, which because he's a cat involved. Pissing on everything. Um, and obviously Clarence and is horrified. So coerces Fox to help him reclaim it back. Uh, so then Gary joins um, Little Carto in trying to, to re-pee on everything. And <sighs> it's one of those kind of unnecessary humour additions. It is kind of funny though. I'm not going to lie, it did kind of make me chuckle. But it's just not the show at its strongest. The show is capable of so much more. Um, and the rest of the episode goes on to prove that because it introduces um, this very happy-seeming space station um, run by this kind of evil Dr. Zeus character uh, called Hush Fluffles. And Hush Fluffles takes Gary and wires him up to a machine. And this machine takes Gary to his happy place. Uh, and apparently Gary's happy place is with a cookie wife and cookie kids. Because Gary has a bit of an obsession with cookies. Um, cookie wife, cookie kids. And um, involves him dance battling against frost bears. Using super awesome dancing. Um, which I will admit is 
is very fun and features some great music and some very, very good animation. But obviously this is injuring Gary somehow. And the rest of the crew investigate and find out that essentially um, Hush Fuffles is a character called Todd Watson um, who lost his family on Earth and then picked up Gary's message to Quinn, his final message to Quinn before she detonated the the bomb that destroyed the breach. And so Todd Watson blames Gary for the loss of his family who were on Earth when it was taken into the breach, taken into final space. Which is... It's got this tremendous level of tragedy to it. And Alan Tudyuk is doing a, a very good job as Todd Watson's voice. Although he is essentially, having watched it now, I think I maybe wouldn't have noticed this if I'd have watched it at the time, because I think Harley Quinn came afterwards. But he's essentially doing his Joker voice from the Harley Quinn show. You know, that same sort of manic energy that he brings to his Joker is what he's bringing to Hush Fluffles and Todd Watson. But yeah, Nightfall and the other members of the crew investigate and they're able to... Uh, to free Gary and also Tribor, yay. Um, and that sort of brings the crew together again. Um, and it's kind of hinted that Todd will come back as a future villain for them. Um, episode 3 focuses more on Ash and develops her as a character, gives some of her some of her backstory you know we end up seeing her home planet and we find out how she got her powers um when she was due to be sacrificed to this fire serpent on her home planet um but you know her powers resulted in her killing her parents and escaping ash is a character i quite like she's voiced by ashley birch who is someone i mainly know her other voice work in video games, um, specifically the Borderlands series, but she's she's doing a very good job. She, you know, Ash is a very complex character, um, and she def of the of the new additions. Ash is the one that's definitely getting the most development. Fox is played by Ron Funches, who again I also know from the uh, the Harley Quinn show where he voices uh, King Shark. And he's, again, doing a, a brilliant job, but Fox is essentially another comic relief character. Um, you know, bringing this very positive, childlike energy to a lot of the proceedings. Um, not in the same way as Gary, where it's the kind of the, the cheerful optimism. Um kind of like this childlike sense of glee like he's just excited by everything like the same episode where they're exploring Ash's past um, someone tries to steal the crimson light because he's trying to escape from his wedding day and Fox convinces him to no to go back to go through with his wedding and then is like, like I'm going to help you and I'm going to be your best man <laughs> and it's like it's 
so positive. <laughs> um, Ash also seems to have this developing relationship with little Kato, which I do quite like. She, she seems to be quite sweet on him. She's about the same age as him. Um, you know, the two of them are two of the younger characters on the ship. Um, Fox is implied to be young as well, but Fox seems bigger because he's the tallest member of the cast. He's a very large alien with a gun arm, you know, so he is very, very different. Four, episode four focuses on a little Carto, shows that he's still kind of grieving his, his father. Um... You know, he gets... It involves a very sci-fi concept where the ship is split by a piece of solid space-time. And we feel like... The, it seems like the crew have been halved. Um, you know... Little Carto, Nightfall, Hugh... Um, and Kevin on one side. And then it's revealed that Fox and... Gary are on the other side, and then eventually it's revealed that no, actually, little Carter's been on his own, and he's been on his own in like a pocket of time where 60 years has gone past. And he thinks he's in there with Mooncake and, and Kevin and Hugh, and he's not, he's all on his own. And he's one thing it really shows is that he's still grieving his dad because he's using this this virtual interface to try and talk to his father, but he's not actually talking to him. It's he's he's typing the words that his father's his father's voice says, and it becomes clear that it's his own inner voice talking. And it's this is probably the episode that made me realise the show is at its best when it's not trying to be funny. It's at its best when it's telling these emotional stories. You know, this is a, a show about loss and grief and found family. And this episode is a really good example of that. Uh, as is the next episode. Um, with this sort of unconnected opening that features the... The De Winters now coming back to sort of hunt Gary and kill him, uh, blaming him for Melanie's death, which, okay, is kind of funny, but not as good as the main part of the episode, which actually introduces Gary's mother. And they save her from prison and then find out that she's actually using them for a heist and then abandons him again. And she's also played by... Uh, um, uh, She's played by another sci-fi alum. She's played by Claudia Black, um, who most fans might recognise from Farscape. And she's, again, brilliant. A really good character. And the the end of the episode shows this these flashbacks of how after John Goodspeed died how his mother, Cheryl, she's not actually named in this episode, but she's named later on, Cheryl, how she... how she abandoned him, how she got consumed by grief and drink. And then I think it's even revealed at the end of the episode that the, the item that she's stolen 
is actually a dimensional key. So she's gathering the dimensional keys as well, for, and we don't know why yet. And it's it's great. And even though there's this this comical side plot with Mooncake feeling rejected by Gary and kind of eating his feelings and just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, um, while that was also a good plot, that was obviously the source of most of the the comedy in this episode. You know, it it paled in comparison to the actual main story of the episode with Gary and his mother. Which was done really, really well. Um, episode 6 sort of focuses more on uh, the mythology and world building of the show. Which by this point was feeling a bit overdue. Like we kind of had the hint of Bolo in episode 2. But nothing more really. Um, you know, the only other real tease that we had was in, sorry, not even episode two, it was episode one with Bolo, and also in episode one we had, like, the, the, the final scene stinger, where, um, a being called Invictus sort of took the Lord Commander away out of this realm, um, saying our work is not finished yet, or something like that. Um, but what episode 6 does it is it introduces uh, these beings called the Arachnitects, which are like giant robot spider things. Um, and they explain how a being called Invictus corrupted the Titans. And as a result, the Arachnitects, who were creating the universe, had to seal the Titans and Invictus into final space. They created final space essentially to keep... Um, the dimensions of the universe from the Titans and from Invictus's influence. Because, yeah, there's alternate dimensions in the show. They touch on that in season one when Gary meets Bolo um, and we see a whole load of other Garys doing the same journey in different dimensions and different timelines. Um... So, yeah, it's clear that this a story has happened before and in other realities. Which is a good way of also keeping the pilot canon, which I do quite like. Um, and the episode ends quite ominously how, like, Mooncake has his powers back, but that's not necessarily a good thing. Because, yeah, the ending of the episode... Um, you know, before Mooncake got his powers back, had Invictus sort of trying to escape uh, to get the Arachnitects, and Mooncake sealed the breach that Invictus was trying to create. So not only can Mooncake open Final Space, he can also apparently close it. But Invictus communicates with Mooncake at the end and says, you know, do you think I, because I can't be seen... I'm not a threat. It's like Invictus is coming. Invictus is going to be, you know, the main villain of this show, I think, or seemingly so. The next episode had a very big focus on Nightfall and especially her history with Gary because they've been kind of teasing the relationship between 
Nightfall and Gary because obviously she had a Gary that she loved and she lost and he had a Quinn that he loved and he he lost and so they're, they're in love with each other but not with each other if that makes sense um, because they're not each other's versions and it's like her, she we see her history with her Gary and her Gary was a very very different person like, he was actually a member of the Infinity Guard, whereas our Gary wasn't. Um, you know, they met in a different way. They had a much different relationship. Like, this Gary was not a prisoner. And we reveal in this episode as well that this, the timeline that we're actually watching, is the first time Gary hasn't died. You know... Quinn sealing the breach in season one was different in all other timelines, including in Quinn's own timeline. Gary seals the breach to final space. And I thought it was a really good exploration of, like I said, developing the relationship of these two characters who are, who are connected and in love, but are not because they're, in love with different versions of themselves. It's, yeah, a very good example of a a way to use the sci-fi tropes and settings of, like, parallel lives um, in a very good way, I thought. Um, the next episode features time travel. And, again, season going back to their own timeline, um, and they... They realise they might possibly be able to save Avocado from the Lord Commander. Because um, Avocado used to be the Lord Commander's right hand. Uh, we learnt this in Season 1. So they try to save him. Um, and they also get some, some more time loops that reveals that they're responsible for Melanie de Winter's death originally. Um, that's a running joke that is starting to... To not feel funny anymore. The 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 connections between Gary and the De Winter family, um, especially with Clarence's involvement in it. Clarence, I've not spoken much on Clarence, but Clarence is just this annoying character in the background of most of these episodes. Um, you know, kind of a foil for for Gary, but part of the crew at the same time if that makes sense he's always been trying to wheel deals like when they found the power plant um hush fluffles's space station uh you know he tried to bring buyers in to sell it and fox was like but you don't own it and he's like well they don't know that <laughs> you know he's gonna so he brings in a whole load of people and starts a bidding war <sighs> the episode also introduces someone who's kind of like in charge of policing time called time swap sammy and he says he's met them before um further on in their timeline and he allows them to save avocado um at the moment he dies in season one and they manage to bring him back and gary ends up stranded on that planet um goes to try and kill the lord commander but the lord commander escapes and so he waits there for, for like a year until the others come and pick him up. And now Avocado's back, but he's also lost his memory. 
Um, meanwhile, throughout these past few episodes, there's been a subplot where Tribor left the ship and tried to, to rebuild the Resistance. And, oh God, yes, there was a... There was a rather funny joke where he kept walking, he kept travelling around this one planet and kept walking back into the same bar to recruit people. Uh, which was kind of funny. Um, I was like the set piece that he kept walking into the same bar. I did find that funny. But then it's just let down with Tribor being Tribor. I'm just not a fan of that character. And... Uh, you know how I said in season one how I was trying to guess how the universe was kind of made up with the the Lord Commander's army and the um, and the Infinity Guard and then also how in this season there's like both of those are gone and there's no sign of any sort of power vacuum or um, major impact that it's had done on a galactic scale. Well, Tribor and um, you know, his other former resistance friends, including Shannon. It turns out that they've formed multiple different groups. And it seemed, I felt it like almost directly mocking any intent I had made to try and understand the politics of this universe. Because it's like, Tribor's made a resistance and an uprising and an insurgency and a rebellion. And they're all opposed to each other and all opposed to whatever else is out there as like the government for this uh for this universe which was so bizarre um just adding all these new factions that are all interlinked and opposed to each other at the same time yeah and there was also a reveal that tribor was non-binary like six months of the year he's male and six months of the year he's female um and both halves of him love the other half of him um, so he's in love with himself but he can never be with himself which was again an interesting take on a sci-fi trope and one I would probably like more if I liked the character and I really don't I really do not like Tribor um, so yeah that was a fun little diversion for a few episodes um, although with the help of someone, one of his own members of his staff, uh, Sharon, Sh Sharon, Shannon, um, she sort of wears a mirror on her face and has a date with him because she's madly in love with him, um, which I felt as like a sort of less restrained version of how Quinn, how Gary was towards Quinn in season one when she was first introduced. Uh, you know, she's like madly in love with Tribor, like in love but also hero worship and so she, so she sort of helps Tribor go on a date with himself which again was a scene I probably would have enjoyed a lot more if I liked Tribor um, but it was clever enough for what it was uh, Avocado eventually gets his memories back um, and tries to help Gary contact Quinn in final space but in doing so, Invictus possesses Avocado. Uh, well, possesses Gary first. And then realises that Avocado is stronger and possesses him instead. And Avocado is lost and left behind and is now an enemy. Just as, as soon as they get him back. Which is a real shame. Um, episode 9 is probably the most clustered episode. I'm, I'm doing these... 
I'm, I'm kind of breaking down each episode because this season does feel more episodic um, than the others in that each episode, while also contributing to the main story, seems to have its very own focus. Whereas uh, when I get to season, season one and season three, both feel more like a, a serialised story. Um, episode nine has kind of three plots going on at once. Um, and like I said, it feels really crowded, like there's not enough time for each of them to breathe. Um, the most interesting of them is the return of Cheryl Goodspeed and um, Todd Watson. And the, the two of them kind of find each other and Todd Watson tries to examine her memories and finds out that she was essentially spying on John Goodspeed for someone. But fell in love with him at the same time. And he eventually found out, you know, she was their spy because he was making the antimatter bomb. And he eventually found out and told her to leave. And she left um, while also saying to baby Gary... You know, I wish you were never born. And it again was actually kind of heartbreaking to watch. And but it led to an alliance between them. It was definitely the high point of the episode. Um, the lower point of the episode for me. Oh, sorry, I said this is episode 9, wasn't I? No, it was actually episode 10. Um, um, the the middling plot is, is pretty good. It's Gary trying to find little Carter with uh, Nightfall and Kevin um, because little Carter's run off after what happened to his dad. And But the lowest point of the episode for me is Clarence trying to marry a queen because this queen, who is... a giant squid woman um she has to marry before sunrise otherwise she'll lose her throne so clarence tries to woo her and get married to her and then try oh excuse me to try and rob her and fox and ash kind of end up sort of like along for the ride on this one and it's okay, it's got some very funny moments, but at the same time, some of the humour is just gross out. Like, um, the... Like, jokes are made about the Queen being this kind of, like I said, slimy squid woman. And then, um... They take, like, she takes, like, a poison tablet and dies, or seemingly dies. Um, and then Clarence starts robbing her, and then people start coming up to kind of see the queen um, and Fox lets loose that she's dead. Um, so then Clarence sort of hides himself inside one of her orifices and then she wakes up uh, and then she thinks she's pregnant but it's not, it's Clarence. It's Oh, it's so bizarre. And it didn't really work for me. It seemed like it was... Uh, taken too far as if it was like taken as if the jokes were being written to fill a quota 
And then obviously, like I said, that comment from Aaron Rodgers on Ron Coleman's video where he said that, you know, the network were demanding more comedy. And it's one of those, you know, this is one of a few episodes where several other people helped write it. It wasn't just written by Olan Rogers and David Sachs. Other people wrote this episode as well. And I wonder if they were more responsible for some of those choices that I didn't like as much. Because it's possible. Um, Cheryl takes a more prominent role in the next episode. She returns. Um, she uses Clarence's infatuation with her to get him to steal the dimensional keys that Gary's crew have already got. Um, and so Clarence betrays them, which then leads them to pursuing him. And you end up hating him for it. Uh, you know, how how can he betray them like this? And even Fox and Ash are kind of hurt by what he's done. And then... You get to the final moments of the episode and he gives the keys to Cheryl. And Cheryl says, you know, I'm not interested in you. And he realises he's betrayed them for nothing. He thought, you know, he was going to get something out of it. The the, the woman of his dreams, because he has this severe infatu- infatuation with Cheryl. Um, but... She wants nothing to do with him. So then he tries to appeal to the crew when he realises he's been betrayed. And they want nothing to do with him either. Not even Fox or Ash. And you actually feel bad for Clarence. You know, it's it's very well done. And then the the final conclusion of the episode... Reveals that Cheryl is being manipulated by a titan named Erascus, who imprisoned Bolo. And Erascus is offering her husband back if she gathers all of the dimensional keys. So that's what she's trying to do. She's trying to gather the keys to to rescue John. And then. The penultimate episode features this, focuses mainly on the confrontation between Cheryl and Gary that has been building, um, which even involves her him uh, locking her up with Kevin <laughs> to like punish her, <laughs> which was very funny. Um, And the team get all the keys. Um, But the episode also features some really fun moments. Like Ava downloads into Hugh's body. Because the two of them have been sort of on and off flirting throughout most of the season. Um, And while she's in his body, she upgrades his abilities. So now all of a sudden he can fly. Despite having this this real garbage body that can barely run. And you even end up with a, a confrontation between Tribal's Resistance and Todd's spaceship, uh, the power plant space station thing. Um, and Todd gets sort of lost in space, um, but is left alive, so he's going to come back at some point. 
Um, but he's lost all his base and his his army of fluffles and everything like that. Um, and then the finale just hits the ground running in the same way that the finale for the season one did. The finales are, are probably some of the strongest writing um, on the show in terms of weaving plot threads together because um, they usually involve a certain amount of emotional pathos as well. Um, and, you know, Cheryl gets shown by Tribor, of all people, that Gary represents her love for John. And that makes her switch sides and she resolves to help. Um, Invictus, as Avocado, returns... The crew find Bolo in his prison and he reveals that one of them will have to sacrifice themselves uh, to become the sixth key in order to free him. And Nightfall is the one that does it. Um, Ash uses her powers to burn away Invictus's influence on Avocado at sort of her her own reaction to Nightfall's sacrifice because Ash had grown really, really close to Nightfall and saw in Nightfall a kind of a mother, older sister, hero figure. Uh, you know, kind of all of them rolled into one. And that, so obviously that brings back Avocado. And then Bolo is freed. And so the Arachnitechs come back and open final space so that Bolo and our heroes can go in uh, to fight the Titans. And then the final scene of the episodes in a scene that echoes season one. We see Quinn drifting in final space in the same way that Gary was at the end of season one. And then the light from the Crimson Light, you know, this beam of light that comes down. And Gary does a spacewalk to kind of come down and catch her in the same way that he caught her when she evacuated from her ship in season one. Um... And it was just brilliantly done. But then you get the looming shadow of Invictus behind them. Because it's like, now they're all in the final space. Where Invictus is, where the Titans are. It's very well done. And it built really, really well. You know, you get these... The series, the season started with these very episodic kind of done-in-ones. And there are plot points I haven't even touched on. There was like a... You know, the episode where Nightfall's exploring her memories, the power goes out on the rest of the ship, and Kevin accidentally creates a whole load of evil robot Kevins that all sort of merge together to try and kill Clarence. Um, and all these other plot threads that I've, I've barely touched on. And it's just very good episodic adventure science fiction while building this amazing storyline and featuring this these real good group of characters that build really well. And my my one complaint maybe for season two is that the cast is perhaps too big. Um, you know, the extra members of the cast like Ash and Fox and just sort of, and Clarence do maybe kind of balloon the cast a bit to where there's not always the focus that that you want on all the characters. But it's like Fox maybe isn't as developed as he could have been. Like, we we get signs of Ash's past, but we don't get signs of Fox's past. We will, 
Um, but I'll get to that. And, you know, there's hints of this, this rivalry between him and Little Carto, but we don't see as much of it as perhaps we could have. And it might have been nice to get some more development on some of the characters. It's one of those where I wish the season could have gone on longer because this, the cast and the setup for this season was very, very good. And the... You know, it's a it's a good cast of characters, not just of voice actors, but also of characters. And it might have been more fun to see them do... <laughs> you know, shenanigans and crazy sci-fi adventures before building to the plot. I mean, obviously, the, the plot of the Titans and Freeing Bolo is the plot of this season, but it might have been nice to see some more... some more crazy adventures and hijinks first um, to really get us to bond with the crew. My opinion, but... It's it's still very very good for what it is, and if you want a good episodic adventure show, second season of Final Space is is very very good for that, um, with some great episodes that are, are very very funny. So yeah, it it definitely works, but I don't think it's as strong as what comes next. Now then, to talk about Final Space series three. Season 3, I should say. Um, now, I'm going to be talking spoilers for Season 3, because it's kind of hard to describe the season and what it does so well without talking about the story and getting quite into spoilers, because Season 3 is the was the season for me where everything gelled with Final Space when I was watching it, where... I truly felt the the connection to the characters and that their interactions and emotional weight were what was driving the story. Season 3 is also very, very light on the comedy aspects. It focuses much more on the, the character drama. As well as, obviously, the big world-ending sci-fi events. And I think that's part of the reason why it succeeds the way it does. Um, season 3 had me interested in characters that I maybe hadn't cared about before um, but yeah so let's just dive right into it um, the whole thing starts with a bit of a bang Invictus attacks as soon as um, Gary's uh, rescued Quinn so to try and get away from Invictus Bolo ends up grabbing the Crimson Light and throwing it deep into final space so that it's safe. But in doing so, the Crimson Light ends up severely damaged. And it ends up destroyed. Um, which l means the death of Ava. Because she's too damaged to download herself into Hugh. Um, so you've already got one of the characters dead. And you know Ava's unfortunately not going to be the only character who dies this season. Um... With the Crimson Light gone, the crew, uh, who are now called the Team Squad, uh, they, they end up with this name during the season. Um, they said they're some kind of team or squad, so they end up calling themselves Team Squad. Um, I think it was Gary and Carter's kind of combination. <laughs> Definitely probably more Gary than Carter. 
Um, so yeah, they end up stranded on this planet. And we catch up with them a month later. Um, where Invictus catches up to them. And what Invictus has done is possessed in the same way she that it possessed... Uh, I keep saying she because Invictus is voiced by Vanessa Marshall. But Invictus is very... It's a very brilliant voice that the actress is doing because it doesn't sound female necessarily, but it doesn't sound male either. It gives it a very ethereal quality. Um, but very, very menacing at the same time. Um, and Invictus catches up with them, possessing in the same way that they possessed um, Avocado in the last season. Possessing a horde of zombie Garys. Basically, it seems that Final Space is connected to every dimension. So for every dimension, a Gary Goodspeed has ended up, or a Gary has ended up in Final Space and died. And Invictus is able to wield the power of all of them by like turning them into a zombie horde and just unleashes them on this planet. Um... And while that's happening, Bolo then catches up to them and fights a Titan in orbit of the planet. Like, with the planet actually getting broken because these two phenomenally, cosmically huge beings are having a fight. So they end up punching through planets and, you know, attacks get missed, which leads to earthquakes and stuff. So they all end up trapped under the planet and kind of separated into groups. Um, Quinn, Gary, Hugh and Kevin end up thrown into space on like a chunk of this planet and as they sort of sail through space they find Earth um, which was a great um Thing because obviously every Earth, as uh, you know, Earth got sucked into final space as well, so we're having to deal with that too. Um, but because they've left the planet, once Mo Bolo beats his uh, Titan, him and Mooncake are left behind, and they think Gary's dead. Um, so Mooncake goes off with Bolo. Um, Tribor gives birth. Like, it's revealed that Tribor was pregnant, and he gives birth to Quattronostro, who essentially is born as a baby, and then instantly ages to an adult, speaks Spanish, in a very debonair um, line delivery, and, you know, instantly was wearing clothes and pulls weapons out of nowhere, and it's, uh, it, it raises some questions, but I'm, I'm, I'm at the point now where I don't... I don't expect any answers to them because I don't think I'm ever going to get them. Um, so, you know, that that bothers me slightly, but... No. Um, and then for the next few episodes, the cast remained divided. Um, so I'm going to kind of talk about the plots of each until they kind of intersect and stuff um, for all the different crews. But this is covering several episodes. So just bear that in mind. Um... So, Gary, Quinn, Hugh, and Kevin um, 
encounter Kevin Van Newton in a bunker under Earth. Uh, Kevin Van Newton is the inventor of the Kevin series, and he's gone a bit mad. Um, and he he recognizes Quinn, and the reason he recognizes her is because obviously he had an encounter with Nightfall, and Nightfall got him to build a ship years ago, and that ship is still on Earth. Um, so they end up finding that. They also encounter a character called Biscuit, who's yet another character voiced by Olin Rogers. Um, and I will admit his voice acting is not brilliant because some of these characters do start to sound the same or sound like other people. But that happens with every kind of animated show where they, you know, the same actor will voice multiple characters. Eventually, some of the voices do start to overlap and bleed together. You know, it happens with Seth MacFarlane, it happens with Justin Roiland. You know, it's just one of those things. Um, and yeah, Biscuit is this little creature. He looks like a cat. He looks adorable. Uh, in a flight, in a mechanic jumpsuit. Calls himself a tiger tiger. Um, and he and the Kevin bots that are working with uh, Van Newton, they basically somehow manage to get hold of all of Gary's messages to Quinn. And they've watched them all. So they sort of fawn over Gary and Quinn and, and their relationship, which is very interesting. Um, Newton also mentions that uh, the Infinity Guard got him to start working on a hyper-trans-dimensional bridge, which would be a way of light folding without a ship. And he says that if he can fix the second gate in London... Um, they could all be able to escape final space. Um, so after he gives them this new ship, he leaves to go and do that. Um, Hugh downloads, well, uploads from his body into the, the ship to become its new AI, because um, it has no AI. And they christen the ship, well, Gary wants to call it the Dragonhawk 5, um, but I think Quinn settles on the Galaxy 2, um, which Hugh kind of agrees with. Um, by this point as well, Hugh's body is kind of broken, like his, both of his arms has fallen off, so he was quite happy to leave his old garbage body behind. Um, and then it's revealed that um, Quinn's health is failing, like she's been poisoned by Final Space. Um, and Biscuit stows away on the ship as well um, to try and encourage their relationship and takes Hugh's body... Um, and starts fixing it up in the background, but we don't see what he's doing with it yet. Um, meanwhile, Avocado, Little Carto, Ash, Cheryl, and Fox all get captured by the last Arachnitects in Final Space, um, who obviously they stay behind in Final Space to help seal it, and they've been hiding from the Titans ever since, and most of them have been killed. And then all of a sudden, the last few get killed by the restored Lord Commander. And it's revealed that the Lord Commander is trying to find Mooncake to free Invictus from an extra-dimensional prison. Um, the prison looks very cool. It's like these tendrils leading into different black holes with Invictus kind of trapped in the centre. It's very interesting. Um, you know, visually interesting, I mean. Um, the Lord Commander forces Avocado to tell them all how he joined the Lord Commander. Um, and it's revealed that Avocado 
was basically fighting a war against the Trivulians. There's, this is this big history between the Ventrexians and the Trivulians. And he was really good at killing. He was like the, the planet's best warrior. And he ends up siding with the Lord Commander. And the Lord Commander says, conquer this world for me. Bring me the bodies of the king and queen. So Avocado does that. He kills the king and queen by blowing up their spaceship as they're trying to evacuate after the the city's under siege. And in doing that, he finds a baby in the wreckage. And he doesn't tell... The rest of the crew don't know this yet. Um, but it's revealed to us through like a flashback that he found a baby in the wreckage. And the baby is little Kato. So Little Kato is the King and Queen's son, not Avocato's son. And the Lord Commander knows this. The Lord Commander realises that that's their baby. And despite the fact that Avocato then says, you know, he's taking that as payment. And the Lord Commander was trying to get Avocato to tell the rest of them to... You know, because it's like, tell them that or tell me where Mooncake is. And that's where he realises you don't actually know where Mooncake is, do you? Um, the Lord Commander kind of straps the rest of them up um, for Invictus to feed upon. Um, everyone except for Ash. Um, and they have like a, a brief battle um, during which he shatters her hands telekinetically, so her fingers are all mangled, and she can't use her powers, can't channel her powers as well. And, you know, all the others are left up and chained for Invictus to drain, although Cheryl quickly escapes, because it's been established that Cheryl can kind of get her way out of jail very easily. Um, and she sneaks away and calls Gary for help. Um, the Lord Commander and Invictus help Ash to realise that her dark power that she has is similar to the Lord Commander's and that it comes from Invictus. And she sort of refuses to acknowledge this and try and fight against them, but obviously with her hands damaged, she can't channel the power. Um, meanwhile, Mooncake helps Bolo to forge a sword from a Red Dwarf star. Um, to kill the Titan Erascus. And the scene where they forge the sword is pretty awesome. It's just like the little tip bit that runs over the credits at the end of one of the episodes, but it's fantastic. Um, and so um, Bolo has this big fight with Erascus, and there's some there's some comedy in there as well. Like it's just fine that Erascus um, started dating um, Bolo's girlfriend, Jill. <laughs> you know, because it's like Bolo and Erascus and Jill. <laughs> you know the the titan naming convention is uh bizarre and they manage to kill Erascus before gary arrives and then gary calls bolo out for telling mooncake that gary was dead and then saying that and then you know, as a result, Gary turns around to Bolo and says, look, we don't want to help you kill the Titans. We just want to get out of final space. We just want to leave. We want to go home. Um, and Bolo kind of lets them go. But then it's revealed that he got wounded in the battle with Erascus. And he says he doesn't have long. Hugh learns of Quinn's failing health. 
but she swears him secrecy because she says she wants to make her last moments with Gary special. Gary ends up picking up Cheryl's distress call and goes to re- goes to rescue the others. They fight the Lord Commander to save them. Um, but Ash is unable to free Fox in time. Like, she's trying to free Fox, but obviously with her hands damaged, she can't save him. And so Gary has to, like, pull her away. Um, and Fox ends up being consumed by Invictus, like all these other prisoners are being. And they take their ship, they try and escape the, the Lord Commander and his ship who's pursuing them. They end up light folding away. And they get caught into the pull of a black hole that will lead them towards Invictus. And, you know, while they're around the black hole and they're being sucked into it, Quinn gets caught up in visions of her dead sister, Avery. And how Avery died. Avery was like a soldier under Quinn's command. And she got lost in battle. Um, Avocado and Biscuit are trying to repair the engine so that they can escape the, the pull of this black hole. Um, and meanwhile Invictus is like taunting Ash and like talking to her. Um... Quinn, sort of lost in a memory, almost kind of jumps into the black hole. And Gary is, like, pleading with her, saying, you know, come in, tell me. Um, you know, I want to hear all about your sister. If you if you die, the memory of her dies. So you need to live so you can come and tell me about her. And I found that whole speech beautiful, um, for starters. And then Ash kind of comes out, grabs Quinn with her powers. She's kind of repaired her hands by this point. Um, and throws her back inside the ship. And then she plunges headlong into the black hole herself. You know, she's going there to confront Invictus to avenge Fox. And it's it's brilliantly done. Um, so Ash is off on her own. Um, but the rest of the crew are stuck having to deal with Quinn's final space poisoning. Um, because she's been, she's been trapped in final space for some time. And it's explained that... In final space, space-time is kind of still, so it's not flowing properly. And so space-time kind of becomes like stagnant water. And so that's essentially what... Excuse my phone. Um, that is essentially what Quinn is dying from. She is being poisoned by final space. Hugh contacts Van Newton to try and get an answer because obviously he's been in final space for as long as Quinn, if not longer. And Newton reveals that selenium can prevent the poisoning, but obviously it's rare anyway, even within, even outside of final space. And the crew end up mining a comet so that they can get enough of it to make a chip for Quinn. But that chip essentially re- resembles the um, the cybernetic chip that Nightfall had. Um, which then causes a crisis of faith for Quinn when she gets better. Um, where she's like, if I'm becoming Nightfall, am I losing who I am? Which is, again, another interesting discussion of like predestination and determinism and you know, there's a very paradoxical element to the whole story of Final Space, and that 
there's a lot of destiny and um and the timeline jumping and things like that as if like you know like for example how Gary dies in every dimension except for this one Ash's confrontation with Evictus um ends up with her powers being like fully awakened and that ages Ash to an adult and um also gives her her second eye because in at one point in season 2 for like a joke um cuz Ash had um a wave of hair in front of her face um and so I think it was Nightfall went to kind of like tidy it up and then saw there was no eye underneath and put the hair back um so that was just like a little side joke but now obviously her hair style changes as she ages into an adult and so she gets a second eye so it doesn't look weird <laughs> and then ash is told by invictus that gary will kill fox that fox is still alive somehow and gary will kill him and ash will then have to make a choice and uh, i think invictus gives her three three or four days and says you will have to make a choice um, between, you know, siding with Gary and the others, the team squad, or joining Invictus. And then suddenly Ash finds herself returned to the Galaxy 2. And, you know, that's unsettling enough. But then before they really have a chance to react, the crew end up getting summoned into Bolo's mind again. Um, by like, because Bolo has this like little, I don't think he's ever named, he's like a little spirit inside his brain who like guided them the last time they ended up in Bolo's head, which is when um, Gary ended up going back and meeting his father um, to help him close the breach. And yeah, there's just this, this very loud spirit that looks like a, a pilot light on a boiler. Um, you know, this burning ball of blue flame um, with a staff and, like, stick arms who describes them as just being really sassy. He says they're all so sassy. Um, and that could be... He can be a bit of a grating character, but, yeah, fortunately he's only in, like, two episodes. It's fine. Um, and he's calling them to Bolo's mind because while they're there, Invictus is essentially exerting influence on Bolo using the wound that he received from Erascus. So inside Bolo's mind, Ash ends up separated again from the rest of them and meets Fox. And, you know, to get Fox to prove that it's him, she has him tell her his backstory and how he was um, a violinist on his home planet and he just wanted to make music and then he got drafted and they cut off his arm to affix his, his gun arm and how he ended up kind of get drafted for the war against the Ventrexians and ended up using it in battle even though he's a pacifist because Fox is very much a pacifist and that is enough to convince Ash 
that Fox is real. But it's revealed to us that no, it's actually Invictus. He's Invictus is using Fox's body and memories to manipulate Ash. And you know, Gary comes in to try and help her and to try and tempt her away, but obviously her connection to Fox and her belief in him is so strong that it doesn't work. And by this point, Gary's worked out that his robot arm can form uh, weapons, which makes sense because it was an arm from a Sane, which are the robots on the Galaxy 1 in the first season. I didn't really mention them. There's all these robots and he's like written names on all their heads, um, for example. And he ends up with one of their arms after he loses his own arm. And obviously their arms could turn into blasters and swords and things like that. So Invictus manages to influence Fox and Gary into a fight and then twists his arm into a sword to stab Fox. So to Ash, it does actually look like Gary has just murdered Fox. And she sort of takes time away from the ship um, to try and mourn um, after they bury him. Gary is like obviously distraught because he didn't kill Fox and he can't get Ash to understand that. And it's really sad. And there's like a moment where like, because um, there's a cookie machine on the um, the Galaxy 2. The whole thing with the cookies is that Obviously, there was a cookie machine on the Galaxy 1, and Gary always wanted a cookie, but couldn't ever get one because he was a prisoner. So for five years, he was constantly tempted with cookies that he couldn't have, so he's kind of fixated on them. Um, And, you know, Hugh offers him a cookie and says, you know, I don't know what else to do, but this might help. And Gary just has a, a... this emotional breakdown and starts punching the cookie machine. You know, just, he's heartbroken. And it is, it is so sad and it's really, really well done. Um, you know, Ash walks out the funeral because he's like, you know, I don't even know what to say because you killed him. She's too busy blaming Gary that she can't even help put her brother to rest. So, like, little Carto has to give the eulogy because little Carto doesn't just want to dump him into space. And it's like, even though they have this rivalry and they didn't quite like each other, like little Carto says, he's he's still going to miss him. And it's it's, it's a very sad episode. This, this show deals with grief and loss so well. And just how raw and painful... It can be and how unjust the universe can be and how how good people can die horribly and suddenly and there's nothing you can do about it and it's it's absolutely brilliant and I freely admit when I was I mean I'm I'm tearing up now describing it and it's like when I was watching this season I spent most of these episodes for season three in tears um, because it's just so well done. 
you know, even with Ash's grief, while she's away from the ship, she runs into this energy being that's able to transform. And this energy being is like, hey, I just want to destroy stuff. Do you want to destroy stuff with me? And so they start blowing up asteroids. And it's this this channeling of, you know, Ash channeling her grief into the into destruction, not just the, the anger, but destruction that's harmless and doesn't matter. Um, and she ends up laughing and having fun. And this energy being um, christens itself Evra. And I get the feeling, Evra Evra only appears in this episode, but I get the feeling if it was to carry on to next season, Evra would have been a more important character. Um, For one thing, the actress is actually credited um, in the episode, um, you know, in the opening credits, which doesn't happen for most of the guest actors. It, It tends to happen mainly for the, you know, the important you know, the main characters. So I don't know if that's ever been spoken about, but... Yeah, Evra was a character I would have liked to see more of, because her time with Ash is short, but she does leave this very positive impression. And, you know, we see Ash smiling and happy, because Ash is a very tragic character. She has had a lot of stuff happen to her, from her perspective, very quickly. Um, including being aged up and so having this childlike fun with the character Evra is is very good. Avocado tries to comfort Gary and in doing so the truth about little Carto comes out and by this point when Avocado was dead um, or believed dead by the crew um, Gary basically said he wanted to, you know, to to try and take Little Carter under his wing in season two. He said he'd adopt him. So, it's very clear by this point that that Gary thinks of himself as as Little Carter's, you know, stepfather or definitely a father figure or an older brother or something. He he he's, he feels very paternal towards. Towards Little Carto. So, you know, he's so angry about it. that, And obviously he's got the anger over everything that's happened with Fox and Ash. And he channels it into this argument with Avocado. And he never wins. They come to blows, but Gary consistently loses. But then they fight again. And, you know, before they resolve it, you know, they resolve it by Gary basically making Avocado swear to tell little Carto the truth and to earn his forgiveness because Gary says that's what I'm going to have to do with Ash so you have to tell that boy what happened to his parents and it's yeah it's just so honest and so refreshing to see this you know, to see loss and grief handled this well. Um, Ash comes back to the ship and Gary does apologise to her and says, you know, he actually acknowledges, he says, I, did, I didn't know your brother very well, but I loved him. 
and I'd like to know more about him. And so, yeah, they kind of they kind of bond, and Ash starts telling him a story about Fox over the end credits, and it's it's a good episode because all of that stuff with Ash and and Gary and Little Carter that was all one episode, and it's a very very good episode. It's probably one of the higher points of the season. It was just. It was just done very well, the the emotional story of it and the weight of it and how well it was handled was just done so well. Now, to go back to a character who I haven't mentioned much because he's, he's not been in many episodes, but he has uh, appeared in a few. Um, Tribor and Quattronostro um, ended up finding a hidden civilization in Final Space. And they helped them to resist, um, and Tribal forced the person to use that word before he would actually help, which I didn't like because people were dying all around him. Um, an enemy force, which then led to them um, sort of capturing the enemy leaders, and the enemy leaders being, I've, I've heard of you. you, you lead the resistance, and you've been prophesized. And it turns out they were prophesied by a character called Tim Belts, whoever that is. I don't think he's ever been mentioned before. Um, but Tribor and Quattronostro both seem to know who he is. Um, and so they communicate with the ghost of Tim Belts. It's a whole thing. Um, and he says that they are the great liberator and will lead the people out of final space. And when they say what, Tribor or Quattronostro, he just says, yes. So it's like they don't know which one of them is the Great Liberator. <laughs> which then causes an argument between them. And yeah, they start fighting enemies inside Final Space. Because somehow, even though Final Space was sealed outside the universe and the Titans are there, there's all these people that need that can form a resistance. All these people that are trapped there. Which is... Yeah, okay. I don't know how, but okay. Um... The rest of the crew, the team squad, get called back to Earth because um, Kevin Newton has fixed the gate, fixed the bridge. Um, but Earth is starting to shake itself apart like it's it's crumbling. Um, and the crew are told that they need someone outside final space to activate the other side of the bridge on a planet in the, the main universe. Because the bridge is active inside final space. But the other bridge, the other gate isn't active. Um, and Ash suggests the character that is their only option, which is Clarence. Because pretty much everyone else close to them is dead. Or there. And, you know, and she also points out that at the very least they deserve to tell, you know, Clarence deserves to know that what happened to Fox. And we see Clarence and we find out that he has become so depressed over his betrayal of the crew that his his businesses have just fallen into ruin um, and he's a drunk and he's grown his beard out and everything like that. And they manage to get in contact with him um, using this message that tells him about Fox's death and asks him to go to this planet. And he resolves to help, like to, to prove himself to Ash and the others that he can be trusted, that he can be counted, that he can be dependable. 
Um, but unfortunately, the transmission was also intercepted by an assortment of other characters, mainly villains, including uh, the DeWinter family, uh, some evil robot Kevins from the previous season, uh, Time Swap Sammy, who's now been fired because of his interaction with Gary, and um, Todd Watson. Um, and all of them converge on the same planet, along with a couple of other comedy characters from the previous season, like a character called uh, Fraskenhauer, who is like a bug-like alien but has multiple arms, uh, including one betwixt his cheeks, shall we say. Um, and he only cons- he, Clarence tried to deal with him a couple of times, and he said, I only consider a deal done if all my hands have shaken. Um, so, yeah, that was... <laughs> That was he was he was one of the the better recurring gag characters in the second season. I didn't mind him as much. He was quite funny, because um, he was so positive and so cheerful as well, which made it really good. Um, and also the queen that Clarence scammed comes to the planet. So Clarence is about to activate the gate and ends up in a massive confrontation and a huge standoff with all these different villains, all of whom want to to kill Gary or a couple of them who actually want revenge on Clarence. And um, I forgot his name. The, the De Winter husband, anyway. He ends up falling in love with the queen that Clarence scammed. So they leave. <laughs> And everyone else basically ends up dead in a, a massive confrontation. Um, and you end up cl- with Clarence shot. He's been shot by um, Todd Watson. And he has a really touching moment with Todd Watson, which I thought was brilliant. And this this turned me around on Clarence. This whole episode did, but this, season, this bit especially, where he said... Um, he said, I recognise that look in your eye. And he says, like, um, you know, who did you lose? And Todd tells him about his family and he's, you know, gives him, gives him their names. And Clarence says, I recognise that shame. And he says, you've got to be careful because that shame will destroy you. And it looks like you know, he's gotten through to him until Todd Watson, who's already wounded as well, shoots Clarence again before dying and says that, you know, Todd Watson dies saying, you know, at least I doomed Gary. But Clarence manages to do it, manages to activate the bridge um, and then dies quietly on this planet, kind of on his own, except for Fraskenhauer, who kind of comes in, like, Clarence, no! Like that, and kind of comical, but in a good way. And it was just a nice, touching moment. Um, And Clarence dies looking at this, this video of him, Fox, and Ash. And it's just this short little looping video. But they're having fun. And it's, it's sweet. And yeah, that did kind of turn me around on Clarence because throughout season two, Clarence was like, not necessarily a villain, but definitely an antagonist. Like he was against Gary. He was an obstacle for Gary. He wasn't necessarily his friend. But 
he was definitely close with Fox and Ash. And, you know, he was their dad. And, you know, it's clear that he loved them and they loved him. You know, and it's clear from this episode that he regrets betraying them. Not necessarily Gary, but betraying them. And yeah, it's really well done. I like it. Um, and obviously with the bridge active, Tribor and Quatranostro lead all their people out, including the two of them. So they're gone. They're back in the main universe. And But before the team squad can leave, uh, Quinn learns that one of Newton's plans that's on a computer nearby, that the Kevin robots that he created, the whole army of them, were designed to link together into a weapon to kill Titans. So they resolve to stay, uh, activate the Kevin net, as it's called, and kill the Titans to weaken Invictus. However, the Lord Commander arrives. But rather than attack them, he sees something, betrays Invictus, like there's a zombie Gary that's like threatening him, and he destroys that to kind of betray Invictus. And starts digging through the earth. And it's revealed that there's a titan egg inside the earth. And it's hatching. That's what's destroying the planet. And the Lord Commander wants to merge with it. Because the Lord Commander wants to become a titan. So the gang end up splitting up to try not only to stop the Lord Commander. But also to launch the Kevin net. They end up getting joined by Bolo. Um, but also get attacked by the whole horde of zombie Garys. Um, Quinn and Gary manage to deploy the Kevin net. And they all leave Earth. They all manage to evacuate. Uh, they've put a bomb on the Lord Commander's ship. And the Kevin net starts activating and starts connecting. Um, although Newton ends up dying, activating it, getting attacked by uh, the zombie Garys. But... Before the net completes, like the last links are just connecting. And then the arm of a titan rips through the earth and smashes the Kevin net from the inside. And, you know, the Kevin net just all falls apart and gets destroyed. And the whole earth gets destroyed as well. And the Lord Commander is revealed as a titan. So now we're on the last few episodes. Uh, the Lord Commander kills Bolo, decapitates him, um, before he gets attacked by Invictus, who's just angry at him betraying her. And she brings an army of Titans to attack him. And the Lord Commander's just like, bring it! Um, and, you know, because the Lord Commander's incredibly cocky. And we see at the end of that episode that he has proceeded to kill them all. So, he's cocky for a reason. Um, the others manage to escape on the galaxy too, but they get attacked by the zombie Garys as well. Um, so, there's a horde of them all over the ship. They end up splitting up, up throughout the ship to try and defeat them. But before finishing the last one off, Ash uses her powers at Quinn's request to free it. Uh, to like free Invictus's influence from him. And this Gary basically reveals that he was he was left here 
his Quinn never came for him. And so he sees Quinn and he's just like, and you came for me. And it's so sad because he's he, he's dying because like he's already dead, technically. Um, and yeah, it basically reveals that every other Gary ends up dying, sealing the breach. And our Gary's the first one that hasn't, which completely shakes Gary. Um, they then find a whole load of other Earths, like all the other Earths that have been snatched into the breach. Because, obviously, that first breach in Season 1, a Titan Hand always pulls Earth into the breach. Like Nightfall said in Season 2, that that always happens. Earth is always lost. Um, and the crew realise that all of them potentially have a Titan Egg inside. Which means Invictus isn't just gathering Earth, she's gathering an army. However, by this point, because during the battle, uh, Avocado revealed that they're all dying. Like, they've all started to get the final space poisoning. And Quinn says they just need to find the bridge which got scattered from Earth when uh, Earth was destroyed. And they have to go. You know, the crew are dying. They have to get out of final space. And Ash, who's already conflicted um, with the group, gets really uncomfortable with this plan, saying it's unlike anything that Nightfall would do. Because Ash had a real, like, hero worship, um, you know, appreciation for Nightfall. Um, you know, she treated Nightfall like a like an older sister or, or a mother. It was, it was very kind of, she was very impressed with Nightfall. They managed to find and repair the gate, and it turns out that the satellites for the bridge that would power it were very similar to the satellites that Gary spent five years repairing while he was in prison on the Galaxy One. So he knows exactly what to do. And they wait for it to charge, so the crew all kind of bond. There's a whole load of nice little bonding moments, like... um, um Little Carter reveals that, like, if Gary's his adoptive dad, then that makes Cheryl his grandma. And she's like, don't ever call me anything with grand in it. And he says, how about Grandmaster Speed? And she's like, I actually like that one. Um, which echoes his trend of um, him and Gary having nicknames for each other. They call each other Spider Cat and Thunder Bandit, which I think is great. <laughs> and, you know, Cheryl reveals that, you know, makes makes Little Carter wonder about his mother. Um... So then Little Carto asks Avocado about her while Ash is there. And Little Carto, Avocado can't bring himself to tell the truth. So he says that she died in childbirth. And, you know, what he tells is a very sweet story, you know. And, and you know, says this is why Little Carto doesn't look like him and and so on. But... After the gate overloads, because the gate does overload, um, and it breaks, that demoralises them all. And while Ash is sort of dealing with that, she then hears Avocado and Gary arguing. Because Avocado's like, I couldn't tell him the truth. You know, am I supposed to just tell him that I killed his parents? And Ash hears that. And that causes her to lose it and lash out at the group 
and she says that they're all, they are on the wrong side. They are the evil ones. You know, Gary and Avocado and all the rest of them. They're the evil ones. Because she really cares for little Carto. Like, it was implied that she was getting, like, romantic feelings towards him. And now she's, uh, you know, when she was younger. And now she's aged up. They're more kind of parental. But she's she's definitely fond of him. <sighs> you know, more protective, I suppose. Not maternal. Um, so she ends up fighting back Quinn, Avocado, Gary, Cheryl, all of them, and takes little Carto away and leaves the ship to take him to Invictus. So now Gary, Avocado, and Hugh, who has been given a new battle body built by Biscuit, um, they follow here, um, follow Ash back to the black hole that they were at before, which they know can get them to Invictus. On a fighter craft that Biscuit has built, which is actually called the Dragonhawk Five, which makes Gary's whole day. Um, and they arrive at Invictus's prison, and Avocado tries to regain Little Carter's trust um, by telling him the truth, because Ash has already told him, and he explains explains everything, and he says that Little Carter saved him. You know, Little Carter saved his life. It stopped him from being the way he was and leading him to a path that would have no doubt ended with his death. And, you know, obviously because we know as well that, you know, his whole reason for leaving the Lord Commander in the end was Little Carto. Like that was explained back in Season 1. Um, you know, the Lord Commander wanted all his command, all his subordinates... To kill their children. And Avocado couldn't kill little Carto. Um, so that's why the Lord Commander had little Carto imprisoned. <sighs> Invictus brings her Gary Horde. In to kind of attack the others. But the Lord Commander. They were already attacking the Lord Commander. So the Lord Commander follows them through the portal that Invictus opens and attacks Invictus as well. But then obviously Ash recognises him as the one who broke her hands. So Ash then tries to beat him back with her new power. So Gary and the Cartos manage to escape and take the Dragonhawk 5 and flee and reunite with Quinn and the others. And they've repaired the bridge, uh, you know, Mooncake, Biscuit, Kevin... Uh, Tribor on the other side to turn the other gate back on and uh, even a message from Nightfall from her helmet like a pre-recorded message and the piece that they need that had, that had overloaded previously um, you know that's the whole predestination thing coming back in again um, and they managed, they've got the bridge working and they all they fly away but Ash catches up to them and catches the ship with her powers. Um, and Mooncake sort of sees that they can't escape. Flies out to try and fight Ash back. But ends up getting overpowered by her. And she, by this point, Ash has become cruel. Because she taunts Mooncake and says, how does it feel not to be the strongest anymore? And Mooncake is like, crying in fear. Crying out in fear. He only says one word, which is like, chukati. Um, that the entire show, <laughs> Chukity Puck. Um, and yeah, you know, Mooncake is terrified. And Ash 
catches him and uses Mooncake's power to free Invictus. So the others manage to go through the bridge and escape Final Space, but they have to abandon Mooncake and Ash as well to do it. The gate closes, the gate gets destroyed. Um, so they've their poisoning like instantly starts to heal. By this point, the poisoning was really severe for all of them. Um, but by now it's starting to heal. And But then all of a sudden, like space begins to break down around them. And Invictus is like purple energy field, the the magenta energy field that they have, kind of spills into the real space, um, because Invictus is free, and in freeing itself, it also locks the Lord Commander away in a prison, very very similar to Bolo's prison. So I get the feeling if there were to have been a season four, or you know later season, presumably we may have even seen the Lord Commander come back and maybe team up with the others to stop Invictus. And, oh! The fact that each season of the show ends with a cliffhanger actually makes the cancellation even worse. Because that cliffhanger was fantastic. And it's not going to be resolved. Or it's unlikely to be resolved. Anytime soon. And that's a shame. So for a conclusion. I'm just going to give some of my, my overall thoughts about the show. And my thoughts about the cancellation especially. For a show that is. Ostensibly a comedy. Like the way the show is pitched. The way the show is marketed. Um. You know, the trailers and everything. It seems to be a comedy. I think Final Space is at its best when it's not trying to be funny. And that's not necessarily a a dig at the comedy in the show. Comedy is a very subjective thing. Some of it doesn't work for me in the show. Some of it does. Um, but like I said, comedy is a very, very subjective thing. What works for me... Might not necessarily work for someone else. What works for them doesn't necessarily work for me. And that's that's basically it with Final Space. There are some bits in this that I can... I can appreciate why they would be funny. But they don't necessarily work for me. Like Tribor I can see for example. Some characters would... Some people would find that character hilarious. I cannot stand him. Um, you know some of Gary's... Extreme over emotions... Um, in season one, especially how very shouty he is. I know that really irks some people. It doesn't necessarily bother me as much, but it can be a bit hit and miss. Um, but yeah, the show is at its best when it's not trying to be funny, when it's trying to be serious. Because the writing on this show, when it is telling a serious story, and especially focusing on the themes of the show... It is fantastic. This show is essentially about Gary's connections to people. It's the idea of a, a found family, you know, between the characters in the show, between Gary and Quinn, or Gary and Mooncake, or Gary and Avocado, or Gary and Little Carter, or Gary and Ash. 
it's a found family show. And that includes sometimes even members of Gary's own family, like Cheryl. And then their own connections between each other when they're just forced together on a ship. Because they do, they clash, they argue, they get on each other's nerves. (laughs) And then this show is also about grief and loss and dealing with grief and loss. And it is just a fantastic exploration of those themes. Like I said, this... It handles so well the just how cruel and unjust the universe can be sometimes. You know, how you can try and do give it your all and give it your best and still fail. You know. One of the the key messages from the show is is John Goodspeed's final words to Gary where he says just do your best what if my best isn't good enough it's good enough for me and it's it's that that this show does so well I think that it's like you can do your best and you can still fail but as long as you did your best That's good enough. And one thing the show also does very, very well is finding and holding on to hope in the face of sometimes overwhelming darkness. Like, you know, they lose the earth. And then Gary loses Quinn, but he he holds on to the hope that he'll be able to find her again. Because Nightfall exists. So Nightfall can't exist if Quinn's dead. All of the best moments in this show are quiet moments between characters. Rather than the action sequences or the comedy sequences, which can be brilliant. Like, some of the action sequences are fantastic. uh, And some of the comedy scenes are very fun. But it's those quiet moments, like, between Gary and his dad, between Gary and Avocado, between, you know, Little Carter and Cheryl, between Ash and Fox... You know, so many of the scenes that I've spoken about in this episode already. Those are the best scenes in this show. Not the comedy. You know. Sometimes some of the best scenes have very little dialogue even. Like Clarence's final moments. Where, you know, he's looking at the picture of his family. And like I said, the show also has this, this fantastic animation, which I think is a, a definite high point. It's it's very stylized. It fits the stylization of a, what a lot of adult cartoons look for, where the animation isn't super realistic. It's very stylized and cartoony. Um, you know, think similar to Rick and Morty or Star Trek Lower Decks, that sort of thing. But... It does stand out against its contemporaries. Characters don't just wait to speak, but they can be seen moving or reacting in the background. And 
they move around and move dynamically and emote when they're talking. It's like one of the, the things about Gary's big emotions where he shouts and um, things like that, that isn't just in the voice work. That translates to the character. You know, Gary reacts loudly. He moves his arms, he moves his head, his emotions, you know, his facial expression changes to match his emotions. You know, sometimes he throws himself on the floor or throws his arms up in the air and it's that sort of that physical theatricality of emotion that is missing from so many other shows. Um but you know when it does make it into those other shows that it becomes some of the best scenes in it. Um, for example, the the scene in Rick and Morty where the two of them get back in the ship and just break down after this, you know, what was meant to be a quick adventure turned into this, this week-long excursion. And it's like, with the rest of Rick and... So much of Rick and Morty being... Not subdued, because Rick and Morty has a very frenetic action, animation style as well. But that, those, those sort of big displays of emotion like that. Um, you know, Final Space has that a lot. You know, like I, I spoke earlier about the scene where Gary breaks down and attacks the cookie machine... When he does it, his face goes through several different expressions before he even throws a punch. You know, like, uh, you know, he's he's sad and then he becomes angry and then he becomes determined and then he, he kind of roars in frustration and it's... It's great storytelling. And it works really well as an animated media to do that. Um, you know, animation is brilliant for some of the things this show is trying to do. Um, I don't think it would work as well as, as a live action. And it also uses light and shadow really well as well. Like, um, I, was, I was noticed on season three, the scene where Gary and Avocado are talking and uh, they have their fight. You know, there's a sun outside in the window. And as Avocado starts telling his story, he sort of moves out of the light and sits in the shadow because he's about to tell a dark story. So it's thematically really well done, but it also plays with the light and the shadow as the characters, you know, the, the colour changes, the tone changes, and everything kind of shifts around. It's really well done. The animation is really odd, and the music is phenomenal. The music on the show, I've mentioned it several times, is absolutely brilliant. Um, and I really, really enjoy it. Everything from these these quiet, melancholic, emotional pieces to even the opening theme song. I don't think I've ever skipped the intro to this show. And each season has its own intro as well. Season one... Um, has all the characters kind of back-to-back -back fighting and they're kind of animated with CG, which makes them look a bit weird compared to the flat animation, I'm going to say. Um, and Mooncake kind of flitting around between them. And then the second 
season features Gary and Mooncake running through the ship and encountering everyone else. So, like, he high-fives Hugh, he kicks Kevin out the way, and then they all kind of rush to the Bridge of the Crimson Light. And it's like they're getting ready for an adventure. Because, like I said, season two has the most adventure feel for this show. Season three's... I struggled to see how they fit the season at first. Because Gary is just kind of tumbling through a void in his spacesuit. But then he's tumbling end over end and then eventually kind of, like, accepts the fall and becomes determined as he's approaching the end. Um, and I think thematically it works for the the tone that season three is going for. But it doesn't match anything that actually happens in the season. Um... Whereas the elements that were in the season one and season two openings did, so... <sighs> I don't know. It worked well, I suppose, as its own thing. And each season has its own feel as well. Um, season one is this surprisingly deep, but also very comical science fiction story told in 10 chapters and it is you know pretty much a self-contained story um season two is this episodic sci-fi series that gradually weaves its plot together but also contains all these these whimsical at times but sometimes quite raw and emotional self-contained stories that make full use of the of the sci-fi setting and, you know, sci-fi technology to tell the story, but also make use of the, the characters that are involved, like, a, like I said, with, like, Fraskenhauer and, and things like that, and how, or the Queen, and how it's it's very bizarre and very, very science fiction at times. Um, but season three is just this emotional, serialised story that is a a drama and it's a high drama it does really well just anchored by its story its characters and their interactions with another and like i said how they deal with loss and grief and what that does to them and how it can tear them apart and how secrets can affect people when they're held back and things like that it's so well done like, season three has become one of my favourite seasons of any show ever. That's how much I enjoyed it. As to the future, um, shortly before season three launched, when news of the cancellation came down, Olan Rogers did a video on his YouTube channel. Um, he says he has other projects lined up, but he he does want to end the story properly. And uh, TBS did try, you know, some people at TBS did try to get a conclusion for the show, uh, even if it was just like an hour-long special or something, rather than just quietly cancel it. But, you know, alas, these things are, are not to be. And he says he still thinks about the ending every day. And it's very, very clear to hear him speak that this show means so much to him and he's 
I alluded to in my last episode when I was talking about the Venom movies. How... Was it the Venom films I was talking about? How... Sometimes some things can feel like they're not telling a story that needs to be told, but they're being done for other reasons. Final Space feels like a story that Olan Rogers needed to tell. And as a result, that makes it a story worth experiencing, worth listening to and worth enjoying. Because this is clearly a very important story to him. These characters are important. Their interactions are important. And that's why he wanted to tell this story. And it's clear he wants to finish it. And... And quite rightly so. And I'm I'm really hoping that one day it gets a, a true conclusion. I really hope on a future episode of this podcast I can be discussing my thoughts on the final space conclusion. Because this is a story I really want to see finished. And it's all because of watching season two and season three and seeing how this show that I had that I generally enjoyed but I had mixed feelings about you know I enjoyed it I did enjoy season one but I did have some reservations about it but there were there were still bits I loved and I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed Mooncake especially my wife actually made me a Mooncake plush for my birthday um (laughs) not not last year, the year before. Might have been last year. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, Mooncake plush. And she made it. She made the pattern up herself and everything. And it's fantastic. And um, it's fallen down behind my bed at the minute. But um, it is something I really like. And there is still a future, a potential future in the series. There is a at least one video game I think is expected in the near future. And I'll be looking forward to that. I'll be looking forward to seeing what that adds to the story. So I am hoping it gets a conclusion. I'm hoping this story gets finished. Because I think... I think it's a story worth telling. And I think... It's a story that deserves to be finished. I have... Nothing but praise for this show after watching those final two seasons. I still have reservations. I still have things I don't necessarily like about it. But the show did did and does so much right that I think they they don't just overshadow those flaws with the good those flaws pale into insignificance when weighed up against the good in this show. And if you haven't seen Final Space, I really, really recommend you watch it. Even if you've just heard me describe everything that was in it, 
I still recommend you watch it. There is so much I haven't covered, and the execution of these ideas that I have discussed is so well done that even knowing what happens, you will get caught up in the show. You will get carried away with it. It is fantastic. And I don't think I have anything to say, anything further to say, except just to lavish more praise. So I'm going to end that there. So yeah, that is my eulogy for Final Space. A show that deserved to be with us for longer than it was. So, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. I hope I've maybe inspired some of you to, to check out Final Space if you haven't already. If you have already seen it uh, and then please uh, feel free to to get in touch with me at any of the usual links which will be up in a minute and let me know your thoughts on it I'd love to discuss it with some more like-minded folks beyond that um, the next episode that we're doing in two weeks we're going to be looking at Daredevil and the darker side of the MCU with uh, the, the other Netflix shows, which I will be touching on. But I'm mainly focusing on Daredevil. The reason I'm focusing on Daredevil is because, obviously, Charlie Cox and uh, Vincent D'Onofrio have reprised their roles of Matt Murdock, Daredevil, and Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin, in uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and Marvel's Hawkeye. So with Daredevil being officially carried forward into the uh, the new MCU, I thought I'd go back to where it all began. And I hold Daredevil in very high regard, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to talking about it all again. So, yeah. Join us for that next week. Well, next fortnight, next two weeks, two weeks from now. Um... Beyond that, everyone, please just take care of yourselves. Look after yourselves, um, your physical and your mental health. Mental health is very, very important and something a lot of us neglect. Um, So make sure you take some time every day that is for you um, to enjoy yourself to do a pleasurable activity whether it's you know reading a book listening to some music watching a new episode of your favorite show or even listening to a podcast like this take some time to enjoy your own time for the benefit of your mental health until then take care of yourselves everyone and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you very much for listening to Gardo Goes Geek. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to recommend it to your friends. 
If you would like to get in touch with me to discuss a topic or an idea for a future episode, or to give feedback on the episode you've just listened to or any of our others, then you can reach me at any of my social medias. I am at Gardo on Reddit, at Gardo Hedgehog on Twitter, or at Gardo on Instagram. All of my social media links, as well as links for everywhere this podcast can be found, are contained on Linktree slash Gardo. Thank you for listening, and until next time.